I turned to him and I said, okay, now that I'm hired, what is economic development? The closest thing I've found to economic development is playing SimCity 2000. You're listening to the NEI Pioneer Podcast, where we showcase and share authentic stories of Northeast Indiana. In today's episode, we sat down with Steuben County Lido Isaac Lee. Steuben County is one of the 11 counties that make up the region of Northeast Indiana, and Isaac Lee is the economic director in that county. This episode follows Isaac's life as he went from attending culinary school to launching into the economic development world. He also touches on the hot button topic of cannabis as his county is squarely between two legalized states. So it's safe to say that this episode covers a lot. So let's get into it. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the NEI Pioneer Podcast. I am very excited about today's show. I am Jonathan Sackett, head of Marcom of NEI, and I am joined today with my partner in crime. Ryan Twist, vice president of regional initiatives here at NEI. And our guest, Lido Extraordinaire. Oh, that's that's a big title, John. (laughs) Isaac Lee, Steuben County Economic Development. I, I, I asked Isaac to be on the show uh, for a number of reasons. Um, I think being a Lido is a really interesting uh, position that you're in because mo- you, you and I talked about this earlier today. A lot of counties, a lot of uh, states don't necessarily have Lidos. So would you mind just kind of telling us yeah, what a Lido yeah. is, what it does? And what it stands for. I, I just got made fun of by uh, somebody in healthcare that we have too many acronyms. So <laughs> well, you get made fun of by me that we have I too many I think economic ac- development holds the record with the most acronyms, right? Be right above be, you know, having your doctorate and understanding what those are. And tech terms. Yeah, that's yes. true. That's true. So LIDO stands for Local Economic Development Organization. Another term is RIDO, uh, Regional Economic Development Organization. My experience comes from two different states, uh, Ohio and Indiana, where I started my career in Ohio. It's set up very similar. They call them Community Improvement Corporations, CICs, uh, each county in that state. And similar in other states that put a high emphasis on economic development, each county will have a local person. We call them LIDOs, um, a local business entity that... Uh, says they are the lead in economic development. How they're set up, it could be fully public, like we talked about, or it could be fully private or a hybrid model where you're a mixture of both. But essentially, there's a point entity or person. Uh, Additionally, like in Indiana and Ohio, uh, at the county level, you'll have a LIDO. Then you'll have a regional group, in this case, a RIDO, that covers a territory. Uh, I was a part in Ohio called RGP, uh, covered, I believe, 17 counties. If I'm not mistaken, um, here, obviously, NEI covers 11 counties. Uh, Steuben County is one of those. Um, so that's kind of the makeup. Um, other states take a different approach, um, but it seems to work best, I believe, when there is um, somebody with you know feet on concrete, boots on the floor, if you will, um, at the local level to be able to handle the, the, the politics, if you will, of working through the minutia of the, the tax abatements or the TIFs or setting the stage for growth to happen. Uh, you need that local point of contact. Regionals come into play when they're facilitating the marketing efforts or the, the leads, in this case, with NEI. And it takes that collaboration between those two entities then to work with the state to secure the project, get incentives, and then Ultimately, at the end of the day, your community is better for it because you might have a new industry or an expansion of an industry. Well, you know, you and I talked earlier today, and I did not know that you got your start by being a chef. (laughs) Or that's what the goal was. That that was an aspiration, actually. Uh, I don't know if it was a goal. I was turned (laughs) off. 
I mean, so I, I, I like I like food. I like to cook. Um, I don't follow any instructions, and most people hate that. It's like you cook brownies a certain way. Have you met way. Ryan? Yeah, he, yeah. yeah. He doesn't. And, and I've done my fair share. I mean, I've made brownies look like cakes before because they're just too fluffy. Um, they're good regardless. I don't, but is there such a thing? Yeah, so they're supposed to be doughy. but <laughs> Too fluffy? It's too good. More like a cake. Um, but no, I, I mean, I didn't know what I wanted to do in high school. I was, I was in a DECA program. I liked marketing, but I mean, I just didn't know what I wanted to do. I played football, ran track. Uh, I actually went to the University of Toledo to play football for one year to try to figure it out. Uh, but before that, I was really like, you know, I, I caught wind of this, this program. I went over to uh, the Hyatt in Toledo and took an exam for this school that I had no idea what it was at the time. And scored really high, and they came back and said, we want you. And had my mom pay the deposit, and course of school was Pennsylvania Culinary Arts Institute. Um, I mean, that's one of the U.S.'s renowned culinary schools. And they said, you know, 18 months, you're going to be done. I'm like, that's cool. Right? Yeah. <laughs> 18 yeah. months, I'm done. And then they followed that by, well, your two work options, which we've got a pretty high success rate, is you're going to be working in a big city, Chicago, New York, something like that. Or you can work on a cruise ship, and I'm like, Ugh, those two things aren't really me. I'm a I'm a rural boy. I lived in the country most well, you're, of my life. You're, either way, you're talking about having a, a small space to live. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. and I like my space. So uh, I knew those were not for me. Um, so I I jumped back in, and being the fact that I took marketing in high school, uh, for me that was a safe space. So I, I went back into my undergrad. Um, ended up with a double major. Uh, one in marketing, one in human resources, uh, followed that up with an MBA and kind of fell into economic development, I'll be honest with you. We started this kind of process out interviewing our CEO, Stefan Frigia. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jonathan asked him about his how he got into economic development uh-huh. and his response was, well, nobody comes out of high school saying, I'm going to be an economic developer. No, it's not like I'm going to be a fireman, right? So what what was it that, how, how do you fall into uh, a role like this? and leaving? Wrong place, right time, <laughs> maybe. Or reverse, maybe. Yeah, right yeah. time, wrong place, yeah. So I, as I told you earlier, I mean, the state of Ohio calls their economic development corporation CICs, right? So... I was working in Toledo at the time at a marketing research firm. We've talked about this, Yeah, you're the data guy. I I was was doing the data guy. One of my largest clients was Kodak. I was doing all their market research. I wanted something different. We were getting ready to have our first child, and I didn't, didn't, at the time, I didn't like the drive. Um, So I was looking around. We were living in Defiance, uh, and I came across this company called Community Improvement Corporation of Defiance County. I'm like, oh, that looks interesting. And a lot of the text in it was marketing-related. So I applied, had five interviews, um, three of which were with the director at the time, who then became a lifelong mentor of mine, uh, who just retired recently in the last couple of years. But anyway, going back to the start of this, on the fifth interview, after meeting with all these folks, I thought they were still yanking my chain. But this last one was with the executive director, and he offered me the position. And I was so giddy to sign because I was going to be back, you know, close to the market, close to my, you know, my starting family, my young child. Uh, a lot of it seemed to make sense at the time. And before the ink's dry, I asked the question, silly question, quite honestly, stupid question, which I've joked about with my mentor at the time, who's Jerry Hayes. Um, I turned to him. I said, "Okay, now that I'm hired, what is economic development? I went through five interviews with, you know, really, quite honestly, BS on my way through (laughs) what I thought economic development was. (laughs) Um, Notice the smile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it was it was just that most of us fall into it. But have you figured it out yet? I think. I think I've got a good pulse, but I, I will tell you, every week there's something new that right. comes our way. 
Um, it's never a dull moment with an economic development, no doubt. But um, it, it, it's one of those things where he told me uh, the first two things that, that make a good economic developer are your ability to market and communicate. Uh, I added two years later after I got into it and learned a little bit more. I was like, well, you've got two audiences. You've got an internal audience and external audience. And the tactics and marketing and communication aren't the same. And we argued about that. But the funny thing about it is Jerry Hayes um, had a long career in economic development. He, too, also fell into it. He took a sabbatical from Defiance College where he was teaching. Um, And the guy who was doing economic development suddenly passed away. And the board turned to him and said, hey, you're already here. Would you like to be Your paid warm body. Now? Would you yeah. like to get in here and figure this out? Would you out? like to do it full time? And he's like, oh, sure. He had a business background. So, yes, Ryan, to your point earlier, it's like a lot of us just fall into it. Well, I mean, I I come from as far away from economic development as you can probably get. But, you know, the one thing that I've, I like about it a lot, aside from my wonderful team. That's quiet. They're all looking at me right now. But the one thing that I Good like team. the Wonderful. one thing I like about it is I always say we're not selling candy to children, which a lot of the commercials that I've been a part of mm-hmm. were doing just that. And I think that there's a causal element to it that I really enjoy. I know that we're helping people. I know that we're not just helping people make decisions and corporations to move or expand or whatever, but we're actually doing good. You know, one of the, the manifestos that I try to live by is live well by doing good. And I think, um, you know, we're obviously we're you have to know the idiosyncrasies and the ins and outs of what economic development is. And it's such a boring term, which I told you earlier today. I said, you know, if if we could call it something else. Well, I, I think that would probably help it. But I think yeah. the, the cause is there. You know, would you talk a little bit about that? Because obviously you've been doing this now here for seven years. Going into my eighth, yeah. Going into your eighth um, year. Close so, to 20 years now, total. So, so what kind of, what's the satisfaction element? How, how does that work with you? What, I, I'd want to know both ends of it. Like, what's the downside? What's the yeah. upside? I'm going to just add to that, if you don't mind. Please. Especially coming into a community that you didn't grow up in, that you're mm-hmm. not from, that you didn't have a natural connection to. Where does the pride come from? Yeah, where does the pride, where's the causal element really come from for you? I so I, I, I've been blessed to see both sides. So I grew up in Defiance County, and my first economic development job was in Defiance County, Ohio, okay? So you learn some of those idiotic, you know, the, those inter, inter, you know, intimate and intricate things from your community because you grew up there. Right. You just know it. It's instilled in your family, knows it, so on and so forth. Um, so some of the difficult things in our industries, by the way, don't just use the word ED because that has so many other acronyms. Yeah, I learned that. Uh, uh, I'm going to an ED industry there, or in association conference, and they're like, what What kind of conference is that? You know, um, it could be a blood flow <laughs> issue, really. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> so, you know, the, the, the industry itself, it, it it's kind of um, it's kind of unique. So from my experiences coming into it, I admittedly said at, at my first interview, first day on the job, I have no idea what this is, but I'm willing to learn. And you have to have that mentality. Um, I, by no means, am an expert in economic development. I'll, I'm self-proclaimed. You, you said it when, you, when, we, when we got on the call. You know, there is a knowledge base that you gain, but it's constantly changing. Ten years ago, nobody was talking about housing projects and community development and growth in our industry. Why? Because we didn't do it. And now that's a lion's share of what we're doing because it impacts our industries. So... When I got into it, a lot of it was the blocking and tackling of how to attract industry. 
And that's what I learned. And Jerry was a great mentor in me in that. And like I said, he had a 25 plus year uh, career in economic development. So I got to learn from him, well, what do you need to know about a community and what relationships do you have to build and, and those types of things. Coming to another state, uh, one that I wasn't as familiar with, I wasn't naive. Um, I'm fortunate that my family's owned a lake cottage in LaGrange County, and I've been patronizing all these restaurants for years and being a part of the community, but not really part of the community. So I kind of knew that aspect. But being trained as an economic developer, I took a look in, in, at the opportunities that existed that were almost hidden gems. Like if you dust them off for a little bit and let them truly shine, these are things that I get to play with. It's like a child at Christmas with a new toy or Lego set. It's like, oh, my God, I get this little piece and this little piece. And if you put them together, you get this project. That's kind of the excitement that you get in economic development. I shared with you guys earlier, this is, this is much like baseball statistics, all right? So we're batting 300 sometimes, and that's good. Um, some days it's less than that. You have to have thick skin. Um, we are as close to being in politics as being in politics is, but we're not in politics, so we don't have that protection of being appointed and elected. I mean, we, we, are, we are essentially at the, 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 the limb and will of our boards, um, but we are dealing in projects that, for the most part, people, most people may not realize the complexity of them. I liken it often to a light switch when you walk into the room. 98% of us flip it on and expect the lights to come on and think nothing else about it. You know, it, these are the things that we are trained to think well, about. You're absolutely right. I, I think it's interesting because, you know, uh, one of our team members that you met, Bryce, who, who's done a lot of reporting, sports reporting, you know, I was asking him in a meeting, I think it was yesterday, and I said, what, Bryce, what's a good batting average in, in, in pro? And he said 300. And he's and he said and that's probably Hall of Fame, mm -hmm. and you know how do you how do you train yourself to deal? I, I don't want to call that rejection, and because you, you can't take it personally, you got to move on to the next one. I'm sure, but how do you set your mindset that okay, you know, chances are this meeting you have with Company X isn't going to come through. Yeah, each meeting I have, and I've learned this over time. It, it didn't hit me right away. Uh, but each meeting you have, you can learn something from. It's like in baseball, right? You might strike out, but you might realize that, hey, I noticed that curveball that came at me that struck me out spun a little bit differently. I wonder why. Can I learn something from that? So next time that, th that curveball is thrown at me, I'm better prepared and I can take a better swing. So you, you have to, and it's funny I'm using baseball because I only played baseball a little bit of my life. Mm -hmm. um, but well, track wouldn't be a very good analogy. No, it wouldn't. So, yeah. <laughs> or football, for that matter. Yeah. But it, it's it's kind of like that. So every meeting that you have, every strikeout that you have, every swing and a miss that you get, it's you're, you 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 can take that information and say, okay, what can I learn from it? Um, it helps to refine you then in your conversations. Um, over time, I hope most leaders get to the sense to where they can they've got a gut indicator. Uh, and you can start to learn pretty quick whether your gut's on point or not. Um, and in some of these deals, we'll get phone calls. And I've had a couple of them in my career where I immediately know right or wrong if it's a good deal. And I let that kind of determine how we're going to react to something. I always give every deal at least the opportunity. But there are certain things that we need to see within a project when they're coming towards us for facilitation, as I spoke of earlier, that we'll get a feeling. And that's kind of what you build up to. 
Well, what's what's the best part of the gig then? Because I mean, outside of <laughs> outside of the win, yeah, you get the win, okay. But what what would what would be a close second to that? The outrageous pay? No, no, <laughs> no. Um, like I said, most no. models, <laughs> most models. I mean, you're you're not doing economic development for the pay, okay? Um, there are, there has to be other factors to it. Uh, I'm a nonprofit organization, a five oh five one c three. So again, indicatively, we're a servant to the community. You're not making a bunch of money. You'll see a lot of us who start in the industry then go out into private sector. Why? A large part of that it happens to be money. Let's well, let's accept. Well, plus that. you're building you're building your knowledge base and your portfolio. Mm-hmm. So you know our, our head of new business uh, just moved on yeah. to a. That's exactly what happens. Yeah. And you know good good luck good opportunity for them. You you won't you wouldn't as an employer hold them back, but it happens. We're, we're in that space to where we can get plucked. So in this space, what other things do you look at? And you, again, this is, I I relate a lot of this back to my mentor, Jerry Hayes, who got me into this career. He taught me the essence of think outside of the box, the investment. All right. So one of the first projects, there was actually two, and I told you one, I might be able to tell you the other one, but there were two projects that early on in my career illustrated this to me. Uh, The first one was GM. Um, I come from a GM town, Defiance. Uh, it's a foundry, an iron foundry, excuse me. Um, my grandfather worked there for, I'm getting a little teary-eyed because it's, 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 that's how profound it is for me. Um, my grandfather worked there for 30, 30 years, retired from there. And Jerry was one who got me involved quickly in economic development, even though my territory was Sherwood and, and Hicksville. Um, one of the first projects that I got involved in was a transition of that iron foundry plant to an aluminum casting plant. And at the time, it was $189 million first phase expansion. Um, at the time, I had no idea what that meant, right? And this was before EV talks and lightweight vehicles and all this other stuff. Um, but I did know in the 60s and 70s that local Defiance branch and facility had 4,400 people. Today, they employ maybe six, 650. 600. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Still the same amount of square foot, if not more, and producing more engine blocks than ever, but at a lesser foot count. Jerry taught me to realize that, well, without that investment in the work that we've done, that facility could be empty. Yeah. And it's very hard for a facility like that, um, that's so specialized, to transform, or, you know, transform that into something else. We saw what happened with electric works, right? Yeah. It took a long time. We did it. A we lot successfully of did too. it. Yeah. But it just takes a long time for those very specific, unique parcels. So that's stuff that we look at like, oh, my God, that's so impactful. Those 600 families, the people that retired from that facility, all that work helped with with that offset. The second project, uh, some of you might remember the rolling blackouts in the late 2000s. Defiance never experienced one. We had worked on a deal with First Energy to put peaking plants in Defiance, and those immediately flipped on. So everybody's freaking out, and these blackouts in Defiance never had one. Wow. And it's like, can you imagine? We have a couple cold. We had a couple cold storage facilities within Defiance. If that would have happened, they have generators, yes, but they didn't have to use them. Hmm. So it's it's things like that. It's like you got to be in it for more of the impact. And this is stuff that's not going to get on the paper. And we're not sitting there patting ourselves on the back, right? I mean, we move on to the next deal pretty darn quick. Well, it's <laughs> we it's, have to. You have to. Uh, you have to. <laughs> otherwise, you'd be on a ledge right now. Mm-hmm. I think you know you're you're talking about having pride. 
uh, that there's pride for the region, pride for your family, mm-hmm. pride for the future. Uh, what's and th- this is taboo. What is the worst part of the of the gig right now? And and again, I, I've been in meetings with you, mm-hmm. so I, I know the challenges that you face every day. I, yeah. I hear it, but but there's got to be something that you you feel like I I don't even have control of these elements of the job because it's an ecosystem. Yeah, the whole thing aside from our 11, 11 county region, it's an ecosystem of potential challenges. Yeah, at the end of the day, we're a facilitator, so for us to do our job successfully, we have to rely on others and we have to set levels of expectation on those other entities that they are doing their job. Um, where does that come into play? Um, so as we build our communities, I'm expecting my K through 12 systems to bring in a, a strong curriculum so that the youth wants to stay and they're excelling, right? I'm, I'm looking then post-secondary and I have, I'm fortunate I have Trine University in my backyard, right? Mm-hmm. Right down the street from us. And we got great partners and working relationships with them. So then they're handling the post-secondary piece. And then I'm looking at my city's infrastructure, water and sewer, and they're planning with us through comprehensive plans and master plans and our our economic development plans on where these growth opportunities exist. And then we're working with our power partners and our gas partners to say, okay, these are the hot sites. So we rely on a lot of things to happen. But again, we're not the sole source of it making it happen, right? We just have to put the best plate forward to say, please select ours. You know, if I'm a chef, please select my plate so I can win this $20,000 award you, or whatever. whatever are you just good of a cook? Because no, I'm, I'm not. Uh, no, I'm I not. I want to try the brownies. Yeah, I want, that's cake. Oh, sorry. That was, yeah, it was, cake. it was cake. Yes. Um, but it tastes like a brownie. But, but so, so we facilitate that stuff, right? Um, one of the downsides is I, we, I think we often, when we're so close to the fire, we have blinders on and we assume that everybody around us, including elected officials that we work with, know all that information too. And that's one of the downfalls, right? Especially as we turn the calendar year, some of us are getting a bunch of new appointments to our board mm-hmm. as, as elected officials that represent different areas. Or a new mayor. Or a new mayor. There's 44 of them in the state, I think, right. is what I heard. And new you mayor's first term. replaced one of the largest community in, mm-hmm. and, and Mayor and Hickman go, had been there for Hickman how Hickman had been there for five terms, five so terms, now wow. it's Mayor Dave Martin. And, I mean, though he was on council and provost, um, he's now in a new seat. And, and each person is different. you got to give them the space to grow in it and, and, and run their organization the way they want to. So, you know, you're, you're trying to educate them really while you're flying the plane. You're trying to build the plane as you're flying it. And sometimes depending on the backgrounds or the knowledge, not to say every situation is like this, but you have to be aware that um, some of these folks have no idea what a BRNE is. But mm. you're often saying BRNE, BRNE, you know, all these acronyms. You got to slow down and say, here's why we do it. Here's how it impacts you. It's like tax abatements, right? Everybody thinks, well, tax abatement, you're giving taxes away. These are taxes you don't collect yet. Okay. Without the tax abatement incentive, the project doesn't happen. It's not your zeroing taxes down to zero. I can't tell you how many times I've had this conversation. Yeah, <laughs> with elected and non-elected folks, it's like, oh my God, you're giving away the 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 the, the city or the town's only in only income. Yeah, and it's like, no, you're setting the base, but then the incremental growth that happens on top of that because of the project is being redirected to help lower one of two things: capital cost up front or ongoing cost for the business. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, the business would not do it. Oh yeah. Oh, go ahead. Okay. Yeah, I just want to follow up on that because. Um, 
one, you used an acronym that you didn't, or an abbreviation you didn't define. BRNE? Yeah. But okay. two, when you and I spoke yesterday on a different project, um, you mentioned that of the, uh, what, 111 projects you worked in the last three years or something, oh, yeah, you said yeah. only a, a handful were actually business attraction projects. Yes. And so we often think, and in our world, business attraction is what we do and what we focus most on. That's what on. gets in the papers. That's, that's what gets in the, right, no, that's, think, yeah, that's what's magnified. The bread and butter, I mean, the core work that you do, going thinking about that defiance, is you, you mentioned when we were talking earlier, you said 600 families. Yeah. It's not 600 employees. We're talking about 600 families. So can you talk a little bit about BRNE, what that means, and yeah, how, yeah, yeah. how important that is to Stu Ben County? So BRNE, Business Retention and Expansion. Um, I should have explained that before. Um, you can see how easy it gets to roll right through yeah. these acronyms. Um, but to, to, catch, to that point, 111 projects since 2016 that, that our organization has worked on. Uh, again, we are not solely responsible for any one of them. We're just a little piece of the puzzle. Um, but only three or four of those are true attraction projects of new businesses. The lion's share of what rural economic development is about is BRNEs, dealing with your own industries and providing and, and manifesting ways for them to grow right in your backyard. It's the easiest win you can have, okay? It's like knowing the pitcher's going to pitch change up, and you're just waiting ready for it, right? It's something like 80% of all new jobs created are by existing employees in the community. Correct, correct. So if I told you out of 111 projects, I've created over 1,300 new jobs in my backyard, these are existing companies that are creating these new jobs, right? So they're already paying in the tax base. That engine's already running, and, and we're just helping ourselves. Um, the attraction projects come in because, again, that's what gets the papers. Everybody wants that new facility that new, because they can see it a little bit better. It's a big win. It's more tangible. When an yeah. expansion happens at Miller Poultry, especially when they do it on the inside and on the second floor mezzanine, outside you don't see that. And that, that, that maybe that's not a good example because they're on the outskirts of Orland. But if you're driving through um, Angola and you're looking at the expansions that Vestal's done uh, just off of North Wayne, they've got three other facilities back on Growth Parkway that you won't see from North Wayne where they're doing expansions. And they, they build a 350,000 square foot warehouse and, and massive investments. This is the stuff that rural economic development thrives off of. I'll, I'll take that stuff nine times out of ten all day every day. Hi, everyone. We want to take a quick moment to shout out our podcast sponsors. Now, first, you might be wondering who I am, so let me introduce myself. I am Hannah Hannigan, and normally I'm behind the camera as the videographer, but today I wanted to be in front of the camera to shout out the people who made this podcast possible. Barrett McNagney and Sweetwater Sound are the two sponsors of our podcast, and they're both located in Northeast Indiana. If you don't already know who they are, let me introduce them to you. We're going to start with Barrett McNagney. As Fort Wayne has grown, the Barrett Law Firm has grown with it. Founded in 1876, Barrett McNagney is one of the oldest law partnerships in Indiana, and it's among one of the largest just in Northeast Indiana. They have the breadth of experience across a wide range of practice areas to provide you trusted legal counsel where and when you need it. And Sweetwater is actually the one we were able to purchase most of our audio and video gear from to make this podcast. So if you like how this podcast sounds or how it looks, be sure to check them out. Sweetwater, the nation's largest and I would also add friendliest destination for music gear, is also your one-stop shop for all things podcasting. From audio interfaces, recording software, mixers, microphones, cameras, and lighting, Sweetwater has everything to get your podcast up and running. Enjoy personalized gear advice from their dedicated team of sales engineers, as well as free technical support to get your podcast connected and up and running. Really, what's not to love about that? 
So whether you already have a following or you're still chasing the next big thing, Sweetwater is going to be the ones to help you create a podcast that everyone will be talking about. So if you're interested in either of these companies, be sure to check out the links in our description. Now let's get back to the podcast. You know, it's, it's funny because, you know, economic development is not where I come from and, and it certainly isn't where Ryan comes from. But, you know, I moved here. We're, we're in Fort Wayne right now. And I moved here from, from Chicago. And, you know, talking to colleagues of mine, friends from the advertising world, et cetera, a bunch of them have moved into economic development. Um, so an old friend of mine, uh, Michael Fosnant, uh, runs Chicago's economic development now. And he was, you know, president of uh, an agency network called FCB. And the thing about it is, is that you were talking that earlier that there's not, you couldn't learn this stuff coming into it. So I'm just wondering, like, where's the playbook? Like, <laughs> I, I, we're, we're doing a lot of sports now. Just I've, I've, I've talked, I've talked about this at Trine University to some of these students because I sympathize with them. I went into college not knowing what I wanted to do, right? Uh, and I graduated from. Well, college. you want to be a failed cook. <laughs> yeah, I graduated from from college with a, with two degrees and went into market research. But I still I didn't think that was where I was destined to be, right? Which is why then I started searching and found economic development, or it found me, one or the other. Um, but I sympathize with these students, and one of the analogies I use, which kind of dates myself, is you know the closest thing I've found to economic development where you can kind of learn blocking and tackling is playing SimCity 2000. You remember that game mm-hmm. on the PC? <laughs> now, we yeah, don't have a cheat like code. That's the Oregon Trail. Yeah, yeah, it's about as old, yeah. We don't have cheat codes to just generate tax dollars to be able to lay this out. But interestingly enough, there's a lot of similarities there. Now, you don't get into the politics and stuff like that, but laying out your communities. Um, I've often, and this is the nerd in me, I, I still have that game on my PC. It's actually sitting right <laughs> over by Ryan. And every once in a while, every once in a while, I'll just turn it on and kind of it's a way for me to refresh myself for the purpose of what we're doing without all the other things causing confusion it's like planning facilitating is really what we do right um so past that i mean yes you can go in and get certifications from international economic development council which i'm hopefully sitting for my final test on my cdd in march um get the pin um there's a few of us in the region that have stands it. for certified economic development yeah cdec d certified economic development director he's gonna give me whiplash with these definitions uh, so well you know it, and i think it's interesting that you I, I always think that we put things into a bowl so it's more palatable you know what you're dealing with and you know if my background of, of doing advertising you know how the heck does that pertain well <laughs> it it does pertain yeah. because we're not here to create secrets we're here to create momentum and we're here to mm-hmm. get you know it's, you, you talked about multiple uh, areas of market and one of the things is that we're talking internally to people within our 11 county region to have pride in it and not to leave right mm-hmm. so you, you know I, I one of the things that we brought up with Stefan uh, when he was a guest on the show uh, who's our CEO at NEI, I said, well, you know, like, how would you bucket this? Like, mm-hmm. how do you contain this? Because economic development, like, what is it? Well, it's it's more than economic development. It's 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 about pride in communities. It's about beautification of these communities. Um, we had done, prior to me coming here, you guys had uh, done the mural, yeah. mural fest and things like that. And I know there was some contention yeah. about that. But it still all marries up to one master plan, right? Where do you fit into the 11 county region? How do you attract people? And 
And how do you how can you still feel good about okay, we didn't win this, but I did a handoff to one of the other Lido's in the eleven counties. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because my question really is if if you don't win and somebody else in the eleven county one region does win, mm-hmm. I mean it's still a victory. <clears throat> So maybe this comes from my understanding and passion for marketing. Uh, And I'm going to come back to the point you just asked about, you know, if it doesn't happen within Steuben County, do we still benefit? Uh, But where I look at it differently comes from the old AMA definition of marketing, what it is, right? And I'm surprised that I still know this, but I got to give credit to my DECA student or my DECA teacher in high school, Jeremy Nadler. The process of planning and executing the conception, pricing, promotion, and distribution of ideas, goods, and services to create exchanges to satisfy individual and organizational goals. Y'all know I did not what? read that from anything, right? <laughs> you had you complete me. So <laughs> in that definition, there's like 26 different terms. And I often relate the process of marketing to economic development. What are we marketing? Well, a lot of it's intangible stuff, right? It's a community. It's a, the, the asset that we have, the infrastructure, so on and so forth. To understand that, you have to also agree that marketing doesn't happen in a silo. No. Right? So county borders only pertains to county government and its taxing entity. Yeah. That's the only ones that care, right? Yes. City borders, towns. <laughs> the only ones that care are the elected officials. And rightfully so. There's that, I'm not discriminating against that, right? But that's why it matters. To your employers, they don't care. As long as they get the employee there on time, they're loyal, they do their job. So the lion's share of the audience that I deal with are those types of folks. So what I know is, again, if marketing doesn't happen in a silo, yes, I'm, I, I want the project to happen in Steuben County selfishly first. Okay, If it doesn't happen in Steuben County, I gladly pick any of my 10 counterparts within the 11 county region and say, please take this project, help it, because I know that it will benefit us all. If it doesn't happen there, I will then be happy with it going in the state of Indiana because, again, it helps the state grow. Um, If we've missed those three shots, we can still learn from it, but we got to do better then because we got competitive states like Michigan and Ohio, who I border, who put a lot of money in economic development that can write some checks and it becomes very difficult. Um, but I am a very much firm believer in, in a rising tide raises all boats. And if I can help facilitate a project, even though it's not in my county, but it helps the region, I know I'm going to get a ripple effect. Housing, school systems, recreational time in, in the summertime, which we talked about earlier. Yeah. We're going to have some of that flow. That discretionary spending is going to come our way. Well, you know, that's we're talking taboo questions. Here's a big one for you. You are bordering on two states that cannabis is legal mm-hmm. and they're they're killing it i mean they're making their money off of that uh you know yeah. so do, do you have do you have an opinion do you think it's gonna- i have an opinion on this that needs to be studied further yes um coming from ohio uh, i didn't realize it and really enjoy it until or at least i shouldn't say i enjoy it but now maybe <laughs> a little more defensive about it but when I was there, um, we had a lot of funding coming our way, and I never knew how uh, until the tail end when I really understood what the taxation was. It's coming from alcohol sales. So anybody listening, don't buy any of your alcohol from Ohio. Make sure it's in, in Indiana um, because you're supporting that economic development to our competitors next door. Um, but <laughs> Lord, that, the Lord, Lord, the price is here. <laughs> that, that starts the engine of, okay, how do we as a region spend? Now, you can't stop all of it. I get that. But how do we as a region spend? So when I came over here, knowing a lot of their playbook, I'm like, okay, so how can I build a resiliency? Now, 
I say this twofold. Yes, I want stuff to happen in Indiana, but I also know things that happen in Williams County and Defiance County. Still, still a ripple effect, yep. I'm sure. I have a couple employers that have facilities on both sides. So it's, it's not like I can just build a brick wall and say, no, nothing on that state line is beneficial to me. It's not true. Remember, I told you my employers don't care where you come from. Right. One employer is 55% of its employees coming from Ohio. Okay, So I can't turn a blind eye. I have to accept that. Part of my labor shed's in two other states. Okay, So I have to fully understand how they play in the world of economic development. To the north of us, yes, they're different. That's a democratic state. That's, that's a state that's got different taxations, different regulations in terms of utility practices. And they are flushed with cash partly because of cannabis. They were first before Ohio. So this is something that, yes, definitely needs to be studied, whether we're a state that takes a look at personal property tax exemptions or reducing income tax or, or some other methods, you have to find a replacement. But I will tell you, we've done some preliminary studies. We already know some of our population, like it or not, you know, partial to the, the, the topic of cannabis or not, are going elsewhere, spending Indiana dollars and being taxed elsewhere that's not being collected here. Yeah. So my opinion is not for or against. My opinion is to study and, and do your analysis of what's actually happening because it is extremely competitive uh, in, in my county specifically. I've got employers who have taken, um, without saying any names, but I've got employers who have taken cannabis off their drug list completely really? because they know their employees are coming to work with some level of THC. Uh, I have others who have taken a hard no, you can't be here, which is fine, whatever the prerogative is. But then you know what it does to the workforce when you are so close to a legalized state. So it's something that has to be studied. Yeah, I think, you know, because I, I grew up in Wisconsin. And uh, if you take a look at the border states for them, it's the same situation. Yeah. So it, I kind of equate it to... Um, Wisconsin was the last one to raise the drinking age because they were at everybody around them was at 18. Well, everything is an ecosystem. And I think what you're doing is in a, there were there were two one death is too many. But there were too many deaths of kids crossing the border to go drink in Illinois mm -hmm. uh, uh, or, or Minnesota or whatever. And I think, you know, there's a consequence to those things regardless. Yeah. So. You know, it, it was just it was interesting to me to think I don't know what the statistics are, but if if us as a, as a region, you as a county, whatever, if we're losing that revenue, that's got to be looked at because I'm sure somebody's got the statistic out there of X percentage of people are crossing the border to go get it. Yeah. And, and you can talk to our local uh, police departments and, and their their issues. And look, I understand it can be uh, construed as, you know, cannabis, marijuana, it'd be a gateway drug to other things. Mm -hmm. Uh, some could say that about alcohol, right? Oh, yeah. Um, so my, my, my wage, my salary is not dependent on my opinion. I'm just telling you the facts of what I'm hearing from industry and local, local officials. It is something that has to be talked about. I can tell you in 2022, taxation on uh, a commodity like that uh, left our state just north into one dispensary to the tune of tens of thousands of dollars in taxation that we lost. Okay, so you're pulling that money out of the ecosystem. Um, so again, I mean, obviously what happens at your borders impacts what's going on. I'm fortunately or unfortunately, because like I said, labor shed, I'm fortunate. I get two other states I get to pick on. Yeah. Um, but I have two other states where the taxations and laws are different. 
and it creates a unique environment for us um, that we have to analyze and study. Now, when we get to the point where we make a determination what we're going to do, fine, let's understand why we're going to do it. But I can tell you right now, from a taxation standpoint, um, we are losing dollars. That's not me saying, oh, I'm full support of cannabis. No, that's just me saying, here's something we have to study. Because if we all agree that it's not a direction the state of Indiana wants to go, that's fine. But understand its ramifications and its benefits. Okay. You know, we do we do a lot, uh, Ryan does in particular, with a lot of the uh, colleges and universities network that, that I think you established the network here, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Ten, ten colleges yeah. and universities are a part of it. I've never seen that type of partnership before, mm-hmm. and I think it's wonderful. Um, but because we deal with a lot of students, we talk to students all the time and such, one of the, the components of this show is about leadership. Yeah. And if you wouldn't mind talking a little bit about that, because, you know, coming my own perspective on it has always been, you know, what, how do you define leadership? Who do you look up to? Who helped you? What did they teach you? That, that type of stuff. I think, I think until you until you experience a lack of leadership, do you really know what you're looking for in it? Can, can you talk a little bit about who influenced you, who, who your mentors were, um, how that helped you so, out, and, and maybe even the, anti, uh, yeah. the anti-mentor? So Jerry, I've spoken to Jerry already a couple of times. Jerry Hayes is one of those um, for many different reasons. Um, lifelong friend and, and mentor, obviously, first guy to hire me in economic development. Um, and he's actually done this to a, a quite a few protégés. Maybe I'm not the protégé, but others he's brought into economic development who are still doing it in other parts of the uh, of the country. Um, so he must have done something right. So I he's often doing something right, and you. Well, maybe, <laughs> <laughs> maybe okay. the second one. I, I think that's debatable. But um, you know, with, with that being said, I, I draw inspiration from many different sources in terms of leadership. Uh, I've heard quotes over the years. One of the first quotes I've heard is, "If you can't change people around you, change people around you." I can't tell you why I heard that from. I'm pretty sure it's a radio show, but I don't know which one. Um, that that has applied to my life. When you're talking about leadership, another one that comes to mind is leaders are doing things when nobody else is looking the right way. Um, and that's something that when you think about economic development, not everything that we do is above the table. Not that it's malicious or wrong, but sometimes this stuff has to get done before we present it to the public entities for tax abatements or whatever, oh, no whatever happens. And you have to have that level of trust. So I would say those that are looking and having an aspiration for some sort of leadership, yes, find it in people, but find it in reading material and books and podcasts. And the delivery of media is so more, much more efficient now than it's ever been. Uh, it, it's really, it's really easy to get at stuff. Um, be a continuous improvement individual. Um, maintain a process for yourself to do development every year, every day, almost. Another one I heard when I was doing some reflection over the, the holidays had something to do with go where you're celebrated, not where you're tolerated. And I find that so interesting. And then I had a board member of mine ask me. somewhere else to go. Yeah. All right. Well, and <laughs> I, that concludes the show, everybody. Yeah. Thank you for your time. I, I think I'm being celebrated here. You, you, but I had, yeah, a, I had a board man. member, uh, and I won't share who it was, but uh, <laughs> if he hears this, he'll know. Uh, but I had a board member ask me, well, do you, do you feel celebrated or tolerated? And I said, I absolutely feel celebrated. Uh, in this position, in this field, in this industry. And he bought it. Yeah, and he no, bought it. It was Well, it was that quick as my response back, right? So what I, I use that to say you can find inspiration from anywhere. 
Yeah. So, it, but sometimes sometimes it's elusive. Mm-hmm. You know, trying trying to find that you know inspiration for aspiration, it it can backfire too. You know, mm-hmm. I just think you know you're only as good as your product, and I think in everything that we do, our product is ourselves. Mm-hmm. I have to I have to come in every day. I have to come in here motivated to talk to people, to work with my team, knowing we're going to get something thrown over the fence at us, or something that the deadline's going to creep, the scope's going to creep. I think we I think I think a lot of it comes from a willingness to pivot mm-hmm. and a willing suspension of disbelief. Yeah. You know, that's that's the way that that I've always looked at it. So, I think we're we're wrapping up here, but what we usually do at the end of the shows is Ryan does a little bit of a rapid fire so that the audience can get to know I thought you were going to stop at rap and he was going to beatbox. If yeah. you were gonna... <laughs> <laughs> Gladly. <laughs> I will I will do that anytime. Um but I want. We usually go a rapid fire, and what it does is it kind of contextualizes who you are, the way you think, and it also uh, profiles the region yeah. and some of your favorite things. All right, I'm going to start out with a couple of Northeast Indiana staple questions, and then I'm going to hit you with some Steuben County. Ooh, okay, I love it. All right, we taught. We used a few sports analogies. Mm-hmm. Comets or tin caps? Tin caps. Tin caps. I like it. Okay, DeBrands or Coney Island hot dogs? Chocolate every day. Chocolate. Wait, Pre- dark. Wait, dark or milk? I don't. Actually, don't care. Don't discriminate. <laughs> wow. All right, I, I like them both. You you had me at I don't care. <laughs> had me at hello. Three Rivers Festival, Johnny Appleseed. Three Rivers. Three Rivers. Okay, when you bring somebody new to Stu Bend County, what's the first? Where would you take them to eat? Oh, this one's hard. Um, the chef and him's coming out looking at. I know, yeah, I know. I know. The bad chef. I I try I try to take note of again who I'm taking and maybe their preferences or if they've not been at a place. Uh, that's something that I'm. I know food is a good winner uh, for a lot of projects. If you can get people in the right places, it's also a good deterrent. So, right? <laughs> so, I've frequent Sutton's and Monument and the kitchen. I was just at the kitchen this morning uh, with a board member. So, Sophia's. I mean, we got so many great restaurants and, in, 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 you know, just Angola alone. Howie's on the lake and, and Hamilton's another great one. Um, the bullpen and what the fork and and Fremont. I mean, there's there's plenty to pick from. So it really depends on the audience I'm taking. But you're clearly celebrating, not tolerating these. Oh yes, I'm celebrating, not tolerating. All right. Fun fact about Steuben County that most people don't know. I think it goes back to that that population draw. Within 45 minutes or 45 mile drive radius, we are the size of Fort Wayne's MSA, uh, 350,000 people. Um, I would challenge any site selector to challenge me on that number. Um, <laughs> Because, again, when you look at our county of 35,000 people, you're like, well, no, you can't be that big. But think about the infrastructure that crosses and, and makes, really, Steuben County the intersection of the Midwest, 69 and 8090, right through our county. If you had to make a Northeast Indiana bucket list, what would you put on it? Ooh, uh, the toboggan. You'd want to go down that, um, whether you like high-speed thrills or not. That's something you want to do. Um, the trails and stuff in the summertime are great. Get out in the wintertime. They're a different environment. That that recreational side of Steuben County is something that um, it's different. We have we have a gem that's not always publicized or highlighted. People look at us because of lakes, right? 101 lakes. You got pictures of James and, and George and Crooked Lake and all these other ones that are out there. Um, but it, they're, they're all in the summertime. And, yes, yeah, some of them are not pretty in the wintertime. They're dingy and kind of gloomy and, you know, it changes your mood. But there is so much other recreational stuff that happens um, in and around the lakes that it's 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 beautiful. Well, that does it for me. That 
That's rapid fire. That, that, that does it for rapid fire. That does it for I me. would say one last comment. You talked about economic development, if I may. Um, I think those that excel in these positions, when you talk about economic development, maybe in, in other industries too, but specifically in economic development, if you're doing it because of a statistic on the wall that says, and I'm approaching this one, a billion dollars in total deals over my career, if you're approaching it that way, you won't be successful. It has to have something and more meaning. Uh, to those that are doing well in economic development, know those numbers, but they're not out toting them. Well, I think that's that's a great way to look at it. I think you know I'm 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 constantly talking with my team here about wearing multiple hats, the willingness to wear multiple hats, mm -hmm. and also the uh, developing the ability to see around corners, mm -hmm. which is tough because especially with you guys, you, what you're dealing with is is a natural and unnatural ecosystem of job opportunities, water supply lines, power supply lines. I mean, it's not you're not just pointing at a at a building and saying do you want this no. which is probably how economic development started out in the early days but it certainly isn't that that's anymore. what everybody thinks it is i mean they look at a piece of ground and boy that would look nice there but then they don't think about water sewer delivery consequence fiber, right yeah labor shed i mean put, there's put together a trifold and mail that out to some site selectors yeah yeah it's 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 that easy it's that easy that's yeah. all you got to do Isaac. <laughs> I mean, um well, Isaac Lee, thank you so much for joining no, thank us. You. I, you know, and I, I wasn't being facetious when I said you are one of my favorite Lido's, and you were the first one that we interviewed. Appreciate um, that. And it's Easily a, top eleven for us. There easy. you go. <laughs> I well, like that. Top, top 11. 12, if you think about it. Um, but as always, thank you for joining us. I no, uh, no really problem. appreciate it. And Ryan, my business partner and my partner in crime, always great to have you here. I really appreciate it. And thank you, everybody, for joining us at the NEI Pioneer Podcast. Uh, don't forget to like, share, do all that stuff once we post this up. And, um, and don't forget to recommend us as well. And thank you again. I really thank appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks, Isaac. This was awesome. Thank you.